Tonight, it's all about Montana and author Edner Terrio, who has written about the state for years. His newest book, Haunted Montana, explores things that go bump in the night and disembodied voices from the treasure state. And we talk about Montana music. That and more is coming right up on My Alien Life. My Alien Life is recorded live from atop the Northern Rocky Mountains and is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. My website is at www.myalienlifepodcast.com. There you will find my email address, all previously recorded shows, and more. I am Cameron Brower. This is My Alien Life, and the podcast starts right now. My guest tonight is from the place I plan to retire, Missoula, Montana. He's an author of a half a dozen books about Montana, and he's an award-winning musician. His newest book, Haunted Montana, is an exploration of the real Old West, and it's a pleasure to uh, welcome Edner Terrio to the show. Thank you so much for joining me, sir, and welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Cam. Good to be here uh, inside the state. So are you, uh, I don't, you know, I, 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 of course, know you from from your music career in Missoula and, and seen you several times. And, um, you know, that's one of my go-to happy places. And I, I end up there quite a bit. And I have two kids going to college. Um, are, you a, are you a native Montana? I'm not a native, technically. I've only been here since 93 myself. I moved here from Seattle. Uh, but my dad is grew up in Missoula. He's a native Missoulian, and then my family goes back to tracking back to 1889 when they homesteaded in, in this part of the state. So, kind of have deep roots, but didn't realize I belonged here until 93. It's a good place to be, especially where you are right now. What brought you in the, brought you to uh, Missoula? 
I'm sorry, what Robbie's going to do? Yeah. It's so funny. I just uh, was kind of uh, writing about this on Facebook lately when I was telling the story of the guitar I have that my dad gave me. And uh, the guitar was kind of uh, a part of the deal that brought me here. I wound up, uh, I made a lot of friends through through a guy I met in Seattle who was from Missoula. And I, I would come back to Missoula with him and meet all his friends and realize this this is a pretty cool town. And I was kind of burning my, my bridges in Seattle in the early 90s and things were not going well. So I thought, you know, I do have some good friends in Seattle, but maybe I should live in Missoula and visit them instead of the way around. So I came out here and it's the smartest thing I ever did. So a lot of people from Missoula went to Seattle to play music. Did you play music in Seattle and then fall back into Missoula? Oh yeah, I was completely going upstream. Uh, what happened out there was uh, I was kind of a middle musician and, and I had played in a college band in the 80s. A lot of George Thorgood and ZZ Top and, you know, kind of butt rock, boogie stuff. And then uh, I, I tried to get on with a band in Seattle and nobody was interested in that. You had to have the torn jeans and a lot of flannel and long hair and I didn't have any of that. I'd show up in cowboy boots and, you know, a little western shirt and Say, hey, you guys know this old Springsteen song? Like, get, get the hell out of here. <laughs> but that's the, you know, cowboy boots and and uh, Western shirts right now are really the big thing in Seattle. So it's it's kind of done a 180 and and probably will turn 360 degrees soon. But um, both Missoula and <laughs> Seattle, fantastic places to, to play music. And, you know, in, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, I think it's Experience Music Project in in Seattle, but um, there's a lot of connections to Missoula to Seattle, and and within Missoula itself, there's there's musicians that have been all over the place, and um, the connections there are pretty extraordinary too, don't you think? Oh yeah, agree totally. Uh, there's there's just a massive pipeline of people between here and Seattle that if you stay in either place for very long, you're going to meet somebody from the other other end, and then you will have your own pipeline. But I have been to that EMP project in, in Seattle a couple of times, and I could spend the whole time out in the lobby looking at that upside-down Christmas tree made out of guitars. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, I think it was probably back in, I'm going to say about 1990, I was driving down Highway 93 south of Missoula, and um, I was heading to, uh, we were going to go skiing, I had a friend with me, and and we drove by this guy um, hitchhiking. And um, I said uh, to my friend, I said, that's Huey Lewis. And he says, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. And uh, so the friends that were behind us, um, as soon as we got to the hill, they go, hey, we picked up Huey Lewis and drove him to Darby. He was hitchhiking. <laughs> he was hitchhiking in the 90s? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that's pretty amazing that... Uh, that he was out there on the highway and, and, uh, just hitchhiking. That's, that's quite a distance from, from Missoula too. And, and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's was, it was a pretty amazing thing to, to see a guy like that out there, but, um, I wish we would have picked him up. Well, he had of course, the we down there now in the yeah. I just saw him. Actually, I just saw him. He just put a video together the other night for, uh, about coronavirus and was talking about that. Somebody was interviewing him and, and he was in Montana. So he's, you know, a full-time resident there and, and, um, still looks pretty darn good. He's, he was kind of one of my, one of my favorites back when I was in high school. Pretty cool guy. 
Oh, yeah. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing them on the radio back then. Right. He's pretty involved with the community. He does a lot of stuff for uh, charities and uh, fundraisers. I have yet to meet him, but, you know, from all accounts, he's a good dude. And, I, yeah, he, he attends basketball games and, and, of course, shows and concerts and stuff. So he's he's everybody's pretty familiar with him there. And, of course, also uh, Jeff Ament lives there from Pearl Jam. And, you know, they always joke about when he first made, you know, however much money, that was the first thing Jeff did was buy a house in Missoula and, and uh, move back there. And I have seen him in the top hat and uh, had this really, I was, I was in Seattle a few years ago and I was driving down the street and man, this really nice bass guitar caught my eye at a yard sale and I pulled in there and I got this really nice old bass and uh, didn't have a, didn't have a brand name on it. And, um, anyway, I fixed up that in the case and I had, uh, was going to, um, have Jeff sign it. You know, I'd run into him like three times in, in the period of a summer. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'm down to Missoula a lot and I, he's in the top hat. I could hit him up for that, but I never did see him again, you know? And, um, uh, I carried that base around with me for like a year and never had the opportunity, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, I thought I absolutely wouldn't. I didn't, and very disappointed. I and uh, finally gave it to my my son for his one of his birthdays. So um, he has that, and it's real nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. But well, I want that if I stop in and sign it for you. What's that? I'll stop in and sign it for you next time I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about uh, you're you're an author, and um, you've written books about Montana, and. You know, I didn't know you had written so many. I, I was looking at the the new one that's coming up uh, called Haunted Montana and, and due out about July, which is which you get a kind of a a preview there in, in Amazon.com and, and you get to see a, a bit of it, which looks very interesting. But um, talk about some of your, your older ones. And particularly, I like the one Montana off the beaten path because that's what I always take people to uh, different places and always trying to find something different and, and unusual for them to uh, visit while they're here. Oh yeah. That one, uh, that was a lot of fun because there is, there's just no end to the possibilities in a state this big. It's actually the off the beaten back path books. I was a revisor. So it was on like ninth edition when they contacted me and said, Hey, we need somebody to go in and, you know, update all this stuff and, you know, uh, make sure all the numbers are right and the websites and make sure if the business is closed, it's taken out. So it, it, that was a lot of housekeeping, really. I did get to write maybe 8 or 10% new material because there, there were things that I had discovered in my travels that I think, oh, these have got to be included in the book. So the, the guy I had already written in it, it these, this one was it's a more of a dense uh, travel guide, but but everything, it does have a lot of cool stuff in it. That, uh, the title says it all. It's not just the, well, here's, here's all the gateway down to the uh, national parks, and here's this famous thing. You know, there's stuff that practically comes on a card when you rent a, a vehicle at the airport. But this can take you down the, the two-lane highways and into the places that only the locals know about. So I, I like that feel of it. I think one of the challenges of Montana is the fact is the size, you know, because people will come here 
and, and, you know, they'll say, oh, I want to go to Glacier Park and I want to go to the Missouri River breaks. Well, the, <laughs> that's like, that's like traveling across, uh, you know, the Midwest or somewhere. If you're, if you're, if you're talking about, uh, you know, places that are that far apart, you know, when people come and, and see um, Glacier National Park and then they say, I want to see Yellowstone National Park. Well, you know, they're on opposite ends of the state. So it's, it's really one of those things you have to actually let them know, you know, what they're getting into before they come, because you're probably not going to get to see those, you know, two things in a four day trip. That's so true. So many people are just shocked, especially, you know, when they come here from uh, New England or the East coast. And, uh, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to hit Glacier and then uh, we'll go down and, uh, Check out Butte, and then we'll stop through Yellowstone Park, and we'll be back at the hotel by happy hour. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, these maps are not actual size. This, this is a, <laughs> a, long, it's a long day just to get anywhere between two points. And, you know, once you live here long enough, it's, like you say, that is something about Montana that a lot of us find appealing. Because there, the, the stuff that interests me is the stuff that's in between. And this, this state is mostly in between. So anybody that's ever been here will know this is true, but um, one of the best things, I mean, I love getting on the highway and um, driving down to uh, wherever and stop at, you know, some little watering holes in between. And it's very likely that, or unlikely that you'll ever have to pay for a drink. Um, one time, I was in a bar in Butte, Montana, and uh, literally the whole back of it was falling down. So if you looked in the back of the bar, um, you would see part of the ceiling on the, on the ground. And um, the interesting thing about the place was the the men's room was the uh, the site for where the where the heating came in. So um, if you went if you had to use the men's room, it was probably 160 70 degrees inside the men's room. And, um, you know, over a really old, old furnace system that blasted out of there just to heat the whole bar. And, um, I had happened to come back a, a couple of years later and, and, uh, you know, I sat down and, and people were just, there was like four or five people there buying me my, my drinks. And I hadn't, didn't buy one the last time I was there. The first time I was there, there was nine of us and, uh, the, we each had three drinks and the bill was $27. And, um, <laughs> I know. So the, the, the second trip I was there by myself and I was sitting there and, and, uh, one of the, the, it was one bartender and one person at the bar and they said, um, you know, you look familiar. And I said, well, I'm not here and I, I'm not from here. And they said, wait a minute, weren't you here like two years ago with nine people or a whole group of oh people? God, really? And I said, yeah, I was. And, oh, yeah, I remember you. And I remember you. <laughs> there's not a lot of people in there, but, I mean, it's it's those little small towns, and especially small towns that have one bar, you know, that's, that, that's probably one of my favorite places to go ever, really. Oh, yeah, you're always, you know, it, it's like, uh, if you live in western Montana, people have a stereotype of people from the eastern part of the state that they're, aloof or they're standoffish and that I just have found that to absolutely not be true. There everybody has a story to tell and they're just waiting for you to come in and ask them to tell it. And that's that's these little bars that you're talking about. Every little town has a stockman bar, right? 
you go in there and this is, I wrote my first book was called Montana Curiosities and it was kind of roadside attractions and strange people and oddball events and things like that. Just kind of goofball stuff, weird Montana. So pretty early on, I found out that was my MO. I would go into a place like Harlequin and there's like three bars and I, and I wait till about five o'clock and I go into which bar I think the ranchers go to, you know, the working guys. And I sit at the end of the bar and I put my notebook up on the, on the bar top and I kind of open up my roadmap and I'm looking at that. And it, it never failed. Within five minutes, somebody would amble down to my end of the bar and say, well, you're not from here. Well, what are you, what are you doing? Are you one of those TV people? And I'd say, no, I'm writing a book. It's, I'm, I'm not here to see the two-headed cat in the, in the bar <laughs> over down the street. And they'd say, oh, two-headed cat? Oh, Larry's got an eight-legged lamb in his barn. And I said, let's go. So it's like every time it became the best source of information. And everybody, and it's like you say, all these, these little bars, they just love to show off their town to anybody who comes through and talk about what goes on there and it's not hard to get information around the state. Yeah, and that is, you know, even even growing up, you know, I grew up in such a small, small town. You know, usually it had about 100 people. And, um, you know, that that was absolutely true. And even when I was, you know, in my later teens and, and early 20s when I would come back, you know, and maybe I would sit in my hometown bar and, and people would come in and, you know, the first thing that they would uh, they would look at you know, is, is us and, um, you know, try to size us up and, and try to figure out what they were really in for, you know, and, um, yeah. and it was usually just a good time. And I remember, um, a few years ago when YouTube really became popular, there was a kind of a YouTube vlogger kid and, um, he came, pulled into my hometown and, and, um, cause I Googled the name of my town and there, there was this one video and, and this kid, pulls up and he's with his parents and he's talking about being an internet sensation and he's standing out in the middle of town, which there really wasn't anything. There was two bars, a post office. And, um, you know, he can't even, he can hardly talk because he's swatting mosquitoes, you know, at the same time. And he's trying to talk and just getting eaten by mosquitoes and, you know, and there's, you know, that part. But, uh, um, yeah, for the most part, it's, um, you know, these, these little towns, I mean, I, I really don't know how they, a lot of them even paid for electricity or, or natural gas to heat the local bar because really they didn't get much business. But then again, it's still, you know, hub of the community, that in the post office. Yeah, that, that is true. That's uh, a lot of people gather there every day, whether it's the little cafe or, or the bar at the end of the day. It is kind of where they get all their local information and, and news and gossip and all that, it's, uh, it sure worked to my advantage when I was researching the ghost stories. So I, I want to travel around the state and ghost stories, this wasn't really so much that I, it wasn't paranormal investigations. This was just straight up, tell me your experience, your encounter with, with a ghost or a spirit or, or whatever they might call it. And if, if whoever I talked to didn't have a story, they knew somebody who did. So everywhere I went, in every town, somebody had a story that they could share. And some people shared the same stories. They'd experienced the same thing, even though they didn't know each other. And that, that to me, gave a little more credence to that particular story. 
but they're all very, some people were a little more hesitant, like, you know, they didn't want to, you run into this with, with anything that's outside the, the sphere of understanding that we have. So whether it's uh, UFOs or aliens or Bigfoot or ghosts, uh, if, uh, if it's something that rattles our perception of reality, it's, a lot of people just don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to talk about it. But by and large, if it was a ghost sighting, uh, the, the, the one common thread was that almost none of these ghosts that people had seen were, uh, were mean or scary. They were just pretty friendly and just wanted to let them know they were there. So people tended to not be too afraid of it, but it's just an interesting thing. You just go into it with your ears and your eyes open and, all kinds of stuff. It's called Haunted Montana Ghosts and Strange Phenomena. Did you have an outline for that? I mean, did you have an idea uh, or a roadmap of where you were going to go? Because again, you know, you're going to have to cover a lot of territory to, to put something together like this in Montana. Well, that that's the one thing, Cam, that I didn't, I didn't, for once, I didn't have to make a plan. If I was uh, working on a, a, a Curiosities book or the uh, out, you know, off the beaten path, I would have to have a destination, and I would typically stumble upon things on my way to the destination. So that's how that plan worked. This plan was well, there was something my, my wife and I always wanted to see the little town of St. Marie, that's north of Glasgow. Uh, that's an abandoned town by the, the, an abandoned Air Force base, like 1,200 homes that are just empty and just standing there with no people and it's, it's so weird it's like well we we love the road we like the road trip around Montana so we drove out there and every little town along the high line or down the east part of the state uh, you know in the badlands we'd stop and talk to people and no matter where you were ghost stories were universal so it didn't matter it was really, really more a question of uh, when I wrote the book I was a little thin on ghost stories from the eastern part of the state, but that's only because the eastern part of the state is thin on people. And where there's fewer people, there's fewer ghosts. That was, that was my theory, but uh, I scraped up as many tales as I could from, from the you know, east of the divide. One of the things I think is highly unusual is, you know, I've, I've seen other books that um, depict the whole state of Montana and, and, you have to divide it up and, and you have it divided up into Northwest Montana, Southwest Montana, Central Montana, Yellowstone country, Missouri river country, Southeast Montana. You mentioned the high line. I mean, it's, it's that big. And if you're and you're, even if you're talking about, you know, Central Montana, that's another just huge area. I mean, it's, it's not a small place. So um, when you talked about uh, less people in, in Eastern Montana, um, there, there are towns spread all over the place in eastern Montana, but maybe those towns now have two or three people, and back in the day they may have had two or three hundred, but um, there's still remnants there, and there's a lot of stories. Yeah, that, that, that brings to mind that Inglemar, where the Jersey Lily is. Uh, a friend of mine grew up in Sydney. He lives in Missoula now. He's, uh, I think he's probably 75. He's a poet and a storyteller, and he is just so in love with Northeast Montana, where he grew up, that so he goes back there uh, three, four times a year, or he might get a gig telling stories with humanities Montana out somewhere. 
And he'll, like Miles City, but he will press on and drive to Sydney so he can see his land. And he always stops at the Jersey Lily in Inglemar. And he just talks about it in such a romantic way. It's like, well, I have to, it's on Highway 12. I think. It's like, okay, I have to go there. So I went there last summer, and there are, you're literally two or three people living in the town. There's nothing left in the town but the Jersey Lil and a few abandoned, broken down ranches and a lot of rusted out cars and train cars. And it's just a place that used to be like a hub of uh, uh, sheep herding and uh, the, the sheep industry. But yeah, that was 40, 50 years ago. Now all that's left is the restaurant. But if anybody within 100 miles will, will come through there. To go to the Jersey Mill. So is that a, it's, it, yeah, it's, is that a bar restaurant? And what happened there that that made it? Notorious? Well, it was a saloon. Now it's a restaurant slash bar. Uh, it's, well, it's changed hands a few times over the last ten years or so. But it, I I went in there and they, I guess they're famous for their beans. So I had to try the Jersey Little Jersey Little beans. <laughs> and uh, I tell you, they lived up to the hype. They were incredible. I used to have a, a book. Well, I still do have it somewhere. It was called Ghost Towns of Montana and um, real interesting book. And um, one of the things that oh, did. Hardback? Yeah. And, and um, it, there's several editions to that. And the town I grew up in, the one that I picked up and I still have it and I got to find it because it actually says in there um, um, about my town that uh, nobody lives there anymore, um, which there's about a hundred people and there always has been, but it says uh, it's it's not a place that anybody intends to go to. It's just one of those places that you find um, on your journey between two places. And um, oh, you more stumble across <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> and then the and then in the the uh, the next um, the next edition, it's not in there. So um, I think people probably complain from that town that uh, you know they, they, it was called a go- <laughs> a ghost town, and there's still plenty of people. I mean, part of the town, yeah, definitely looks like a ghost town, but. Um, but even, you know, like you're in Missoula and even in West of Missoula, there's Garnett and, and other places that are the true ghost towns and they're, and they're everywhere. Even, even out in the middle of a fort national forest, you know, and, and you stumble upon, you know, five or six buildings that, that people once describe as a, as a town. Yeah. Yeah. They're everywhere. And it, it they're, they all have a, a little bit of, of, a live wire energy when you walk through them. I, I found a couple of those myself, and it's exactly like you described. It's just a cluster of buildings that have basically been reclaimed by the earth. You know, they're not kind of collapsing into the ground. And obviously, this was something. There, there are uh, water ditches dug and all kinds of stuff where you can tell, yeah, 100 years ago, something, a lot was going on here. But who knows what, what, what remains? You, you speak of uh, Garnett. I've got a magazine um, assignment to go there. Well, it was a few years ago. I went there in early February on like a Tuesday. And I rented one of the cabins we have there. And I stayed overnight to specifically invite the ghost to come and visit me so I could write about my experience. Wow. I was the only one there, and, and it was like, uh, oh, four feet of snow on the ground, just a super hard winter, and I had caught a ride up there with the guy who drives the, 
the trail groomer for uh, for uh, cross country skier. So he dropped me off, and then I had to meet him at like dark thirty to take this like four hour ride up the thing in his tractor. And he dropped me off and said, "Well, I'll be back in twenty four hours to either pick you up or claim the body." And then he just drove off. And I said, <laughs> "Thanks, man." Yeah, it's an interesting spot. I actually had I was. Um, when I was going to the University of Montana, um, I became an archaeologist. But during the time that I was there at the university, we actually did a dig in Garnett, and um, just an interesting place. I was super, super, super uh, fortunate to be able to spend, you know, time in a few different places like that during my college days. But um, when you when you were moving to Montana and and you were writing and um, do you do you remember what the uh, first Montana ghost story or haunting that you ever heard of? in Montana? Uh, yeah, probably the first one I heard of was shortly after I got here in 93. Uh, one of my best friends, Jay Swatso, owned the Crystal Theater back then. And it's a tiny little community theater that showed art movies and foreign films and that kind of stuff. And they're, they're gone now. But uh, I lived with him. I rented the top half of his house and uh, he let me work for him at the theater. And this is on in, in a building that's just south of the river on Higgins. And the whole building is supposedly haunted, but uh, Jace would tell me stories like, yeah, I've got a bunch of old life magazines down in the basement, but, and I'd love to show you, but I'm not going back down there. <laughs> because he, he'd been down here a couple of times and had a run-in with some kind of ghost here that living crap out of him. And so he wouldn't go into the, the basement of his own business. But that's, I, I never had an experience there myself, but that was the first one I heard of uh, when I got to Missoula. And, I mean, that wasn't long after I got here. One of the crazier places that, that I got to look around, there's some, there's some old buildings in Missoula that are pretty amazing. There's actually one, I can't even think of it, but it's on um, Broadway and there's, it's a Masonic building with a, with a Masonic lodge in the top of it with an old uh, big brass uh, elevator that um, kind of this free hanging thing in a cage and and um, that's oh amazing. yeah the old school you know what I'm yeah. talking about I do I know that building yeah that's that's so I had a friend take me there you know and it was just one of these times where we're downtown drinking and you know here let's go here and um, you know the building's wide open went to the top in this this old rickety elevator and and uh, wow it was like something out of a movie. That's a place that looks like it just has to be haunted. There's just no question. Yeah, we didn't, we, nothing happened to us, but one, the other one that's just really remarkable and, and they've done a lot of work on it, a lot of work and it's incredible now, but, um, it was incredible then is, is the Wilma building. And, um, in the, in the basement, it has, um, called the, uh, temple of the temple of the dove or the something like that. And a chapel of the dove. And, um, you know, I had, Lots of people and, and I've talked to people that live there and, and none of them live there very long because the place was just too eerie, especially the, the old apartments that used to exist in that building. Oh, the guy that owned the, I don't know if he owned the whole building or just a little theater, but he was the one that, uh, yeah, the Chapel of the Dove. That was still going when I got here. Yeah, yeah. And that, I actually, when I went down there to go to college, I saw Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters had already been out, but... You walk, <laughs> you walk into this little 
room. I mean, it's really small. It's, it's like, it's like a small living room size, um, doves everywhere. It's like a, it's like a small chapel and, um, you know, it's really ornate and there's woodwork and there's um, wooden benches, wooden church pews. And, um, you sit there and, and it's like you're in church in this really kind of eclectic church. And then the small movie screen drops from the ceiling and, um, yeah, the show starts. So it's pretty cool. Really, really neat place and super historical. And, and, um, yeah, I even heard it was very haunted. So That's a great example of the funkiness that is just being eaten away from Missoula. Uh, I mean, I've been here almost 30 years and, and it was already happening when I got here. Uh, I don't know if you, if you spent much time in Bozeman when you were in college, we used to go up there bit. for, uh, I'd go there in the late seventies, early eighties for a ball game. So I was going to Idaho State, and it was still a cow town. It was a lot of fun, and people in Bozeman were starting to complain. Even back then, it's like, hey, I think they're going to open a espresso stand down there on Main Street, and they're uh, they're trying to turn this place into Whitefish. <laughs> it's like now it's like in Missoula. It's like, hey, you know, they're opening a. a, a sensory deprivation parlor down there where the crystal used to be, I think they're trying to turn us into Bozeman. So it's like you see you see these great Missoula, great Montana towns, you know, kind of falling like dominoes, just becoming discovered. And and uh, they price out all the, the people who grew up here. They can't afford to live here anymore because now it's kind of a hot spot. And, you know, all the uh, one percenters live here and get their, their chunk and build a bubble definitely one of my favorite places in the whole state and i've already mentioned it but uh, second um, only to missoula is a uh, butte montana which has the, the history of butte is just it's it's crazy i mean if anybody ever came to montana and suspected of ever having you know an adventure of 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 that type in butte montana it's one of those places that that has such a bad reputation. However, you go there and its reputation doesn't match anything to what reality looks like when you're in Butte, Montana, because the people there are amazing and the architecture in that city, and it used to be a much, much bigger city, it actually used to have um, seven Catholic churches in it. It's, it's incredible and it's still there and you could get it for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it, that's one place that they viewed as such a, I'm like you, it's my second favorite town in the state. And it's such a bare knuckle town. And people that you know who are from you kind of, at the same time they have a chip on their shoulder, they're also the, the friendliest, most loyal people you're going to meet. And it's just, I love, I just, I love hanging out there. I'll hang out there all day and just never run out of things to look at. It's amazing. This, I just put out a book in uh, December it's called uh, Seven Montana. And it's my first hardback. And it's like a, it's like a coffee table book where it has a lot of photos. And I, I compared the six different regions, like the ones you mentioned earlier, the Yellowstone country and Russell country. And like each region has its own identity. So I, I traveled around and talked to the people and got their take on what's, what's the culture here, what's the main business, what drives the economic engine. Uh, what is your big issue here with the environment? And everywhere is different, but we all have, you know, the, the kind of the point of the book was to find out what we have in common. 
And so I wrote, obviously there's books and books and books written about you. It's, it, it just has endless fascinating history. So I, I, I wrote a little bit about you and I said, I've got to, I've got to get a picture of the Berkeley pit, right? So, I mean, you've been there. Where can you go where you can get the whole Berkeley pit in your, your camera thing? You can't. And then my, my daughter came home from college and she went out there with a friend and she comes back and she's showing us the photos and like, holy crap, here's an overview of the entire city. There's the pit, there's the, the college, there's it's like, where did you get those photos? She said, well, we took the tour and went up to the Lady of the Rockies statue and she took a photo from the foot of the statue and it was stunning. It, it tells the whole story of Butte without even a word. It's all laid out. So I asked her if I could use her photo in my book. And she said, sure. So I loaded it on my computer and zoomed in. It just wasn't quite up to snuff. It was a little blurry. So I drove to Butte and I paid $18 to ride in the van up this hair-raising dirt road that we all thought we were going to die. And we get, finally get up to the statue. I get out and I go out on the overlook and I took my picture and I went back to the van. <laughs> it was worth it because it's like it's one of my favorite shots in the whole book. So that town is—I uh, don't know—the history is as deep as the mines are. It's just incredible. And you probably—I really doubt that you will ever. And we talked about bars. You will ever go to a town that size anywhere in America and see that many bars. Um, and not only are there that many bars open, there's that many bars that aren't open that are still there that, you know, that open occasionally and somebody decides, well, I'm going to try to (laughs) make a go at this and open these bars back up in Butte. You know, there's dozens of them that are closed and um, dozens that are open and they're, and they're everywhere. And, um, you know, again, they, they had uh, such a, such a, a variety of, of nationalities that inhabited the town. They, they had, they still have a Greek Orthodox church there. They have, um, you know, all kinds of different, they have a, they have a Muslim community center there, which is still there and open, which, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it just blows my mind. I mean, there's so much there and, um, you know, the, the people there that, you know, generations of people just still hang on to that, that town for dear life and, and don't want to let any of it go. Yeah, I think people are pretty good there about keeping Butte's history alive. And there's a lot of pride there where it it could easily have become like a living ghost town. But uh, I don't. There's a lot. They're they're trying to keep things going. There's a lot always going on there, and there definitely were uh, all the, all these different nationalities that came from all over the world to work the mines during the heyday. They all had their very strong identities, very strong cultural identities, and. One of the things I wrote about in the Curiosities book was the, the Finnish people have uh, something called St. Uro's Day, which is the day before St. Patrick's Day. And there's one Finnish bar that everybody used to go to. I think it's still there. It's the Helsinki Club. Yeah. And so I went there on St. Uro's Day, and the place was just wall-to-wall packed. You could hardly get in there. And then they... they they vote in the crown, uh, uh, St. Uro and, uh, his, his bride. And they give him a pitchfork that has like a cricket stuck to it, a big stuffed cricket. Supposedly St. Uro drove all the crickets 
out of Finland, the way that uh, St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland. <laughs> so, and I found out in my research that some uh, ad executives in Minnesota have cooked this whole thing up in the 60s. Just, and he made it March 16th just to kind of stick it to the Irish. And one of the things, you know, if you, if you go to any of these bars and especially, and I keep mentioning those, but they're the thing they're, they're what's, that's, what's open there, open for business. Um, everybody that works in any of those are going to tell you ghost stories, um, in that, in that particular bar. And, um, it's, it's a shame that some of them have been kind of turned into a sports bars and, and whatever, just to try to hang on to that business. But, uh, you know, absolutely. There's, you know, the Helsinki, the, the, the big hotel there, it's, um, um, is the it, Finland, yeah. yeah, the Finland rather. And, uh, that one is, is notorious for haunts. Um, you know, I think one of the most amazing things that, that I've ever been to there and, and, um, only found out about it because I wanted to see the, the grave of evil Knievel was, was the cemeteries and, I mean, they're actually divided up into Irish portions and, and Italian portions of, of these cemeteries, and they're incredible. Oh, so he, he's buried just in the city cemetery there? He is, yeah. yeah. He's down, he's, you know, some a lot of those, what they used for um, headstones were these, you know, round core samples of, of granite, usually, and, and they pulled them out. And uh, so the, each there's a lot of these graves in the in these cemeteries that are just made out of a round core and um so there's that but um you know his his grave is not that ornate but you know amongst you know where where his is placed it's um you know it's an the irish part of of the cemetery and there's an italian part of the cemetery so evil can evil being irish he's in you know amongst his people there oh they're sure proud of that hometown boy yeah i don't know if, i don't I think, think i don't think i've ever after he died. yeah i don't remember when it was had, go ahead oh yeah i don't i couldn't tell you either but I, they, they had evil can evil days oh my god up until just a few years ago yeah yeah that's and uh if you've ever been but through I, think there, they, I think they what's that if you've ever been through um, Evil Knievel days, it's an incredible thing to see. I mean, it's, um, I just have never been anywhere where you could see guys jumping motorcycles, um, um, a boxing match, and about 16 other things going, you know, on in two city blocks. And it was just incredible. And it was two days of that, you know, and of course, they're really, really known for their um, St. Patrick's Day parade and, and, and uh, everything that goes with it, which, you know, usually I've never been to it when it had good weather. So I would love to be in the, there in the future when it has uh, really good weather other than, you know, snow and, yeah. and cold. But uh, it's, it's just an incredible place. And um, the whole town is just uh, sits on top of, uh, of a myriad of, of mine shafts and, and sinkholes and, and um, you know... <laughs> It's, it's a really, really, it's not a place that you'd probably build a new house. Well, it's, uh, we, we took our kids there when they were young and they, they kind of caught my disease early on. Well, they will go to the out of the way places and stop and see the roadside attractions and like that. And, and Butte was just, uh, endlessly interesting. 
because because of, like you say, the history not just that, but what what's still going on. And uh, there, the last time I was through there was uh, about a month ago. I was coming back from a meeting in Bozeman, and uh, I needed to get a photo of a building, a particular building that I had in my head because I was designing a poster for a, a storytelling event there. And I wanted to get a shot of one of the ghost sign buildings in Old Uptown. And so I just spent, I don't know, four, four or five hours just walking around Uptown Butte taking photos of, of all these old, magnificent seven, eight, ten-story brick buildings that have the old faded-out big signs on the side and uh, the architecture you mentioned. You know, if you look up, it, it, that's where a lot of the interest is. The architecture, they're, uh, yeah, the, the phone company building, the fire department, the cop shop, everywhere. Just amazing. When uh, so many other Montana mining towns have since crumbled or been bulldozed or abandoned. And Butte is, is, man, it's one of Montana's most vital cities. Several parts of town, too, with um, with mansions that, uh, you know, blocks of mansions that that are absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. and, and some of them, you know, are, are just sitting there waiting for somebody to buy up it just for nothing. And... Um, it's terribly sad to see them go, but, uh, you know, they, they are making a slight comeback and it's pretty amazing. Some of those that you see. Yeah. I'm glad to see that too. I, I think a few of those still, uh, they give tours of the mansion. I think it's in Butte. I know there's, there's the one in, uh, researching the ghost book. It was, I ran a lot ran across a lot of old mansions that give tours that have the ghost of the millionaire that used to live there. And there's, so many common stories that every part of the state has kind of the same version of that. But Butte is just so much its own thing. Like the, the Dumas brothel. Yeah, and I don't know how many, I, I don't know how many do you know how many brothels there were back in its peak? In its brothel peak? <laughs> I man, I looked it up. I think there were over a hundred at one point during wow. the during like the, the hot and heavy early twentieth century. It was just uh, that 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 town was kind of left to its own devices as far as uh, being the Wild West. But at the same time, all the different cultures came together and created a society in Butte that was uh, really not connected to anything else. But at the same time, it was made up of people who were connected to the rest of the world. So it, it's Butte is unique. And it was literally, literally the wild west until the, like the, the late eighties, there was still, I mean, unbelievable problems with, with law enforcement and the, the, uh, the mining companies and, 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 you know, buildings being blown up and burned down and to uh, make way for, for more mining. Right. Yeah. The whole, it was the wild west with, with Arco running roughshod and the Anaconda companies before that and. Excuse me. Uh, have you seen the? Uh, there's a great documentary that, that came out about four or five years ago about Butte. Yeah, it's an hour long. It is good. My grandfather's in that. Was he from Butte? He was from Frenchtown. His name was Ednor, so he's the one I was named after. But uh, there's a still photo of some miners who were like in the locker room after a shift, and they're all kind of hunched over and. 
grubby and sweaty and tired and you know a lot of them are looking at the camera and he's, he's the closest one to the camera it's like oh my god grandpa Ed. he was also a minor in garnett he actually lived there with his family in the 30s which was i think the third and final gold boom in garnett so he he was yeah kind of traveling around and trying to strike it rich and kind of a gambler and you know uh, I think he once he came to Missoula got on with the railroad by then my grandmother and grandfather had three kids one of them being my dad and uh, they got to Missoula and suddenly she she had uh, running water and electricity and uh, paved roads she said well okay we're not we're not leaving here so this is where they settled she's one of the reasons I came out here to Seattle one of the most interesting things that I've seen in Butte and they have a Butte underground tour and, and they have a, a speakeasy that they found by accident, which was, was fairly complete. But one of the other things there is, is the old Butte jail. And, uh, um, the tour is great because you get a walk in there, you do spend a bit of time there, but everybody that was ever in the Butte jail, for some reason, I've never seen anything like this anywhere else. They basically went over to the wall with a pencil, um, wrote their name, wrote their uh, wrote their sentencing date, wrote their what they were sentenced for, um, what they were convicted <laughs> of, um, wrote a little paragraph about themselves. And it's it's you could spend like two days in there just reading that. And um, oh my God, I never heard about that. Oh yeah, it's 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 you know, and it's like what's up with Butte where these these <laughs> convicted whatever felons were were locked up and, and a lot of them were spent some time there. And um they uh, they just were prolific writers, I guess, in Butte, and just wrote all about themselves. But every you know, most everybody did, and there's there's thousands of them. And um, and then it makes you wonder, you know, oh. why there were so many people in jail. But it was it was a city, you know, and and I don't remember the the population at its max, but it was it was one of the biggest cities in in the western part of the United States at, back in the day. It was. I think it was the biggest city between. Uh I want to say Minneapolis and LA or right. Minneapolis and San Francisco and the most, most millionaires per capita. But then I think Helena had the same distinction at one point, the most millionaires per capita, but they might be kind of all on the same program, you know, the, the mining and going from coal uh, to copper. Yeah. It's a, I've, I've got to see that jail. That's just the, the, can you tour it still? The yeah, city? absolutely. So it's the, it's the underground speakeasy tour. And, um, okay. And the thing about the tour is that, uh, you know, this is Butte, Montana. So if you, if you want to deviate and you know, they'll, they'll talk about all kinds of stuff and, and, uh, you know, it's not really set in stone where you're going to go, but, um, you know, they, they can deviate and, and, uh, but, you know, that the Butte, uh, the old Butte jail, um, you know, it's only accessible by an alley and this little, uh, little, uh, small doorway back there that you'd never, ever suspect. And, um, and the cages and, and I mean, they were literally cages in there and they also had, uh, you know, a hole where they would put the real bad guys in there and, and it's nasty. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been to the, the Montana state old prison, um, you know, it's not even that nice. And, um, and it was open until, you know, fairly late, you know, it's, it hasn't been closed that long. And, and, uh, 
Wow. But again, the, the writing in there and it's like, I just, I mean, somebody had to actively give these guys pencils and, and tell them to write or they saw writing in there and just kind of followed along. But uh, it's pretty, pretty unique thing there to see in a, in a, that type of environment with those, with those men had done, you know, so underground there and in, in these cells and, and they were damp and dark and it's just a nasty place. Really nasty. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I mean, who, yeah. Who would, who would be giving prisoners, uh, uh, you know, uh, inmates pencils? I mean, you can't even have a shoelace. <laughs> right. And they, they would have had to go, go through a lot of pencils too. So, I mean, obviously they had, <laughs> for some reason that you know but uh you know again it's a it's a really really unique place and if you've ever seen it doesn't really depict it well the 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 original evil knievel um movie with um gosh george i can't think of his last name oh god george hamilton george hamilton playing evil knievel it's hilarious but um you do get to see some of that older part of missoula and and um you know it's it's not a it's it's not they didn't write it to look bad. I mean, that's, that's exactly the way it was. And, and, uh, you know, their evil Knievel was, was notorious and, and the, the local sheriff chased him around all the time and was always, you know, the guy was always in trouble and spent time in the jail and, and, um, <laughs> you know, and that was that there was a bunch of guys. Well, he was evil. Knievel got his name from some other notorious guy that they, uh, called, um, Awful Knoffel. Anyway, one of the, one of the, uh, his, his name was Robbie or they called him Robert Knievel. So when he was in jail, oh, right. he, yeah, when he was in jail, there was a guy named Awful Knoffel. And, uh, so one of the, one of the deputies said, well, look who we got here. It's, um, evil Knievel and awful Knoffel. So that's well, where, that, that's where the good. name came from. And, um, it's stuck and just a super, super story. And, um, there's a million different stories. There's a, you know, another author that, that died. And I think his name was Pat Carney that lived in Butte and he wrote all kinds of books about Butte and he died in 2014. And, and, um, so, you know, it's, um, he was, he was one of those people that knew all about Butte and, and was, uh, such a good storyteller. And so that's why I was really glad to see, you know, when your book came along and I heard about you and, and, um, I thought that was just a, a really good opportunity and to uh, to have you on and, and talk about your work because um, you know Montana is a is a place that um, is rich in in history and and uh, and uh, I hate to see it go by the wayside because of uh, people not wanting to um, participate in that. So nice job! Can't wait to read your new book. Okay. Yeah, I, I have a good time uh, writing these things, and I, and I always feel there's a there's big responsibility to to honor the people that have shared their stories, whether it's about you know why they built a, a rock house out of a cave, or or why you know their great grandparents homesteading somewhere, or why they do the the flotilla in Twin Bridges, or where the hell it is. Like everybody is, is proud of their little corner of Montana. And I really encourage people to travel around as much as they can because a lot of people aren't, especially out, out in the West part of the state, aren't interested in going past, or, I mean, Bozeman, you know? They, Billings is like, 
to a lot of people at the end of the state. And it's, it's literally halfway across the state. There's, there's Medicine Rocks out there. There's, there's Makoshka State Park. There's uh, just all manner of stuff. Uh, uh, the Charlie Russell uh, Wildlife Preserve, I think it is, up around Fort Peck. It's just some impre- incredible, breathtaking country that, you know, holds its own against Glacier, Yellowstone, anything we have out in the, what I call the bumpy part of the state. Excellent. The people are really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to be from, great place to uh, to live. And, you know, so many people who grew up here and, and grow up here still um, leave Montana because there's sometimes there's not the right opportunity for them. But, um you know, there are places here, the cost of living is, is incredibly low and it's an easy place to live. And, you know, you may have to, you may have to live paycheck to paycheck, but the reward is there. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you have to be cut from a certain cloth to really get into it too, to become a, a Montana who can, you know, not just like hunker down for the winter, but learn how to enjoy the winter and get out there in it because it's not going away. But then the summer is kind of your reward. But I was going to ask you, you mentioned earlier that you had, you grew up in a small town uh, in Montana. Had, have you spent any time, like any length of time living in other parts of the country or, or the Northwest or anywhere where you could get that perspective about, about your home state? A little bit, you know, I, I really wanted to move out to Seattle. Um, love it out there. Um, you know, and, uh, so I spent a little bit of time there, a little bit of time in the East and, um, I, you know, always come back here. You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes you have to put up with a really harsh winter and, uh, yeah. sometimes you have to put up with a really strange winter, like the one we're having right now where we had an earthquake and then a blizzard the next day. And, and uh, which that's very unusual, but, um, I think that, uh, um, the, the spring and the, and the summer, the fall, um, is amazing. And, um, you know, right where I'm at right now, right where you are and right now, there's really no better place to experience that. Yeah, it, it, it's true. It's, it, uh, I've been around a lot too. And, and that's why I wound up coming here in 93. It's, it, it, you know, my dad was in the military, so I lived all over the country and including Hawaii. And it's, yeah, who doesn't want to live in Hawaii? Sure, but uh, I think I was four, so I didn't have like a really good handle on what life was like. But once I was an adult and started moving around, uh, then you start to compare places. And I just boy, the the entire East Coast does not appeal to me. I, I kind of I like the Gulf Coast of Florida. And that's about it. But uh, it has to be out west. And then if you're going to be out west. You know, you want to be where there's a lot of elbow room. There's not a ton of people. If you do want to, to find some crowds and get lost, you can go to, you do a, go to Bozeman, go to Great Falls, even, you know, and some of the, excuse me, some of the population centers are, things are slow there, but at least they're not. I, I think that's the thing. It, it's like the, the, the more action, the more hustle and bustle. Uh, the more transplants you're going to want to cross, and it's the less of the real Montana that you're you're seeing. Like the, uh, I played a, a gig up in Whitefish with my band last summer, and we 
stayed at a nice hotel. It's just had a great adventure. But it's like the, the town of Whitefish to me is like under glass. You know, all you got to do is drive down the road to Kalispell, and Kalispell is like a real Montana town. I just, I think there's a, a huge difference between those two towns. And then you go out to Columbia Falls, you know, toward the park, and it's even realer. And that's for, people just don't have any pretense. And people, people have lived in Columbia Falls for three, four generations, and they just, I found the same thing in Ikalaka. I talked to people down there. It's like, why would I ever want to leave? And I would say, well, have you ever been in Missoula? No, I never had the reason to. I just, it doesn't appeal to me. So, you know, to each their own, and everybody's got the same love of where they live in this state. And it sounds like you do too. I do. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I definitely want to, I want to live in Missoula. And, um, I think in four or five years I'll be down there and, um, you know, kind of maybe split my time up a little somewhere else and travel a bit, but, um, you know, everything that I've ever wanted is there. I mean, if, if you want a place to go where there, where there's lots of live music, it's there, um, interesting places to eat and drink, um, uh, places that have been there a very, very long time that haven't changed much that are still, still fun and. Um, you have the, you have yeah. the newer influx of ideas and, and culture of the college students that are there because the university is amazing and, and fantastic football and, and, um, basketball, you know, right there if you're into sports and, and, uh, you know, it's, I just, there's not many places in America that have, uh, that is that small. And I'm not saying that it's small, but, um, with, with three major good sized concert venues right in the middle of it, you know, and they're only, you know, the crow flies maybe two, three miles apart. And, um, there's that. And, um, if you're into that, it's, there's probably not a better place, you know, unless you were in Austin or Nashville or somewhere like that. And then you have to kind of um, contend with, you know, environment, other environmental factors there and, and things like that, because it's, it's a bit hot, but, uh, you know, Missoula, Montana yeah. in the summer, there's no place better. I don't think. I, yeah, I, on that subject, I, I got to hand it to Nick Dakota for doing these things, putting so much into them and doing them right. And, you know, you've been to shows at the Wilma since, since they remodeled and, uh, it's kind of a convertible space now. And you can, you can have, a bunch of tables and stuff down on the floor to have kind of a more elegant, intimate thing. Or you can empty the whole thing and have a big rock show. And then there's the, the amphitheater. I finally made it out there last year to a show. And, and man, every little detail was pretty well thought out. And uh, the guy is, he's just not new to this business. And I think he's trying to, he's working on one of those now, I think. Yeah. Thing. yeah, they're, they're doing but it something. But it is one of the things that that's added so much to the town that uh, how do you find a way to complain about that? You know, this, it is really a good mix of old school and new, new school. And a lot of people are transplants, but they brought something really good with them without wrecking what was already here. So that's the kind of stuff that, you know, it sounds like you see it, Cam, and like why you want to live here because you seek that out and, you can have a great life here and take advantage of all the great stuff without having to complain about, oh, it's not the same Missoula it was in the 70s. And like, well, yeah, in some ways, you know, thank God. Like, the top hat was 
a dive, and I'm a fan of dive bars. But yeah. it, was, it had completely fallen apart, and the owner was an asshole, and you know, they never got good music in there. But uh, you know, when the when the new guys took over, it's like, oh my god, I hope he doesn't turn into a fern bar, and it's all brass and glass, and like, well, no, they they have a oh, what's the James Bar? That's that's what yeah. that place is. Yeah. So those those people have their bar. And the rest of us can have the top hat, and the, the food is great. And the man, the, I'm just really impressed as a musician that the sound system they put in, and the lights, and you can have all that. And if you don't have somebody who knows how to work at all, it's pointless. But they they've had a couple of really knowledgeable, expert sound people working the board uh, since they did that. And that's the first, as a musician, as you go in, that's the first one you make friends with. Is a sound guy. Did you ever they make sure to know? I'm thinking. I, I I'm thinking. I saw you first, but it seems like lo- too long ago. Maybe at the Union Club. But did you uh, play there much? Oh yeah, in the that's where my my well my first real successful band here is the Sunsmenders, and we were together for nine years, and I would say. Well, probably the bulk of that time, the Union Club was kind of our home base. And our, I think we probably peaked in right around 2000, late 90s into 2000. And we were beating, being put as the best local band, you know, a couple, three years in a row. And we'd play there on a Saturday night and just, you could count on it being packed. And it's, I appreciate that we had that kind of our day in the sun. And we had so much fun. And, and I looked around and saw white. Why aren't other bands doing what we're doing? It's so simple. It, we just involve the crowd, and we have like games and giveaways and weird stuff. And you know, we were just a rock and roll band playing uh, country material, and we certainly didn't invent that. I was a big fan of Jason and the Scorchers, and they're the ones that kind of was the first band to explode with that that a punk attitude, but playing the Hank Williams song. <laughs> Excuse me. So we just kind of did that and made sure everything that, that we played was danceable. So that the uni club, that's where everybody would go to dance, and they were just kind of the right thing at the right time. And that was, it's, they do still have, it's one of the few places left that, that you can count on to have live music in Missoula. And so many stages have closed down. Yeah, one of the things that I, I think is, you know, I saw a lot of really, really good bands that, um, you know, we're going to make it you know, somewhere else. And, um, there was always a couple guys in those bands who wanted to come back to Missoula, Montana, you know, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, they would go yeah. out and they'd be gone like a couple of years. And then like two of the guys in whatever band would be back and they'd start up some other band in, in Missoula. They just wanted to come back, you know, and, and, Oh yeah. And I well, there's see people why. who are, you probably know people who live here who are talented enough to, they could get a foothold in Austin or Nashville or uh, even Portland. You know, there's, I think there's a bigger musical pipeline between Missoula and Portland almost than than Seattle. Yeah. But there are people like say a Tom Catmull who's like, no man, this is where I'm raising my kids. Yep. This is where I'm making my life. He was a thriving musician from Texas when he moved here about shortly after I did. And the same thing. You look around, it's like, oh my god, why would I want to live anywhere else? This is this is the place, and it's you can it's small enough where you can kind of invent yourself and, and get noticed if you're doing some quality work. 
you know, I tried to do that in Seattle, and man, it, it's like the scene there in the, the late 80s, early 90s was very competitive and backbiting and uh, jealous and uh, hard to even make friends in the scene, you know, unless you knew somebody. Everybody was climbing all over each other to be the next big thing when, when the drugs started to explode. But I come out here to Medulla and people were like, Oh, so you like playing like Johnny Cash? You should, here, let me give you the number of uh, Ken, because he's a bass player. And, you know, why don't you come down to the, the Union Club Saturday night? They're having a jam session. And everybody is just welcoming with open arms in Missoula because it's, nobody comes here to make it. You come here to live. Yeah, and, and it's not easy at times. You know, I, I certainly see um, bands there that uh, one of the things I've, think it's probably not unique, but I think it's unique to me because I don't know much about that is, you know, you'll see, you'll see a band and, um, they're well established and then you'll see, you know, half of that band in another band the next night, the next big show you go to there and, and they may be in three different bands and they make it work. That's, and, that's um, it right there, man. There's a lot of, uh, inbreeding going on. Uh, if, if you're a drummer or a bass player, you are going to be in three bands. Yeah. Minimum. Is this, uh, guitar players were like, like my buddy says, 10 cents for 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really would be, I would love it. And I think it would be an incredible world, especially even more so if you, we could, you know, get to these musicians some, some pay that they deserve because um, I would love to see, you know, a lot of them be able to do that full time and, and what they could create, you know, once they're doing that for, for living because, um, it's hard. I mean, wow. I have, I have friends there that have been in bands since I was there in 19, you know, 84 and they were in bands in, in maybe in 1980 and, and they're still going strong and trying to do it. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's one of the harder things in life to do. And that's why, you know, you don't, you don't see 50,000 really good bands out there, you know, it's, um, unfortunately not everybody yeah. can make money doing it. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's, uh, over the, over the years, it's kind of gone up and down the, the music scene and the health of it. And, uh, sometimes it's, uh, well, there's nothing in town but punk bands or there's nothing in town but bluegrass, you know, that's kind of a thing lately. And, uh, and now it's like, well, there's there's a million bands, but we have nowhere to play. Right. And it's it's like between between the, the top hat and a brewery, uh, where are all the places in between? Where say a band that's ready to come up out of the basement, uh, where are they going to get their start? There's no more pallets. There's no more uh, elks. There's no you know stage one twelve, whatever they're calling it. Where just any you know they would have three local bands in a night. And I think there's like a BSW now where you can play in front of the bingo board, you know, in the back of the bar. It's just all these little tiny venues that it's, I don't think it's anywhere better anywhere in the state. It's all kind of like the bulldoze a bar and build a casino or a coffee shop or a brewery and it's uh, that has shifted now to where now all the gigs are at breweries where you play from six to eight and a lot of times you only play it for tips or you might make they might pay you 40 bucks but i have friends who do this for a living and it's all they do they don't have a day job or quote day job so 
they will drive from Missoula to Helena and drive back and have made like 70 bucks and had to sleep in the car or, or crash with a friend to do whatever. And these are like people in their 50s who have families. And like, well, it's, it's obviously the love of music that is driving them to to go to those lengths just to make a little bit of money and they're getting lessons and playing three gigs a week. And I'm just, you know, I'm old and tired. I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> I want to do uh, bring up that uh, you have a website, more than one. And um, can you let everybody know listening uh, where to find your website and what's there and um, where to find your books? Oh, right on. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, the website is ednor.com, E-D-N-O-R. And I've just kind of rebuilt it and resurrected it. And it's going to be the, the home of all my music stuff as well. But you can get the book information there. And you can go on there, see what I'm about, see what my books are about. And uh, I think you can, there's a, a button where you can, you can buy the books. I'm learning how to do this still can. But, uh, and then I have a Facebook page. Uh, Bob Wire Music. I think it's facebook.com slash Bob Wire. Yeah, music. And then uh, Facebook slash Tom Ednor Wright. I have a Twitter, Bob underscore Wire. That's, that's the one where it's, if I'm doing something online with Bob Wire, that's kind of Ednor's did, where I will say things unfiltered. I will say things everybody's thinking, but nobody wants to say out loud. But Ednor, I, my real person, I try to kind of be a little more uh, diplomatic and uh, maybe sociable and reasonable and mature. Not, not that I always <laughs> see this. Why thing. do you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's like Ed Moore is one with the checkbook and Bob Wire is the one that runs his mouth. Let me put it that way. But yeah, it's, uh, Facebook's kind of where I'm doing a lot of stuff right now. But the website is, is getting bigger and more interesting every day. So ednor.com, where you can, you can uh, find out about all the books. Evan Montana is out right now. I've written uh, one came out last year called Myths and Legends of Yellowstone. That's, uh, there's a chapter in there about Bigfoot in Yellowstone Park. And that is an interesting trip. Yeah. But, uh, you, can, you can find out about that book on the website as well. And the new book coming up, Haunted Montana, Ghosts and Strange Phenomena in the Treasure State. And that's available coming up this July, this summer. So something to look forward to. Ednor Terrio has been my guest. And, um, sir, thank you so, so much. I, I appreciate it. Finally, nice to meet you. And I've known you always as Bob Wire. And it's nice to know the, the, other, the other half and, and uh, to discover some, some interesting writing. So thank you so much. Hey, it's been great talking with you, Cam. Thanks a lot. Hope to see you here in Missoula sometime. I'll be there. My Alien Life Podcast. You can find my website at www.myalienlifepodcast.com and please subscribe to my latest downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and at podbean.com and please follow me and like me on Facebook and Twitter. My Alien Life is written and produced for broadcast at Studio 254 in the Northern Rocky Mountains. The music you are hearing is produced and created by Elion. 
You can find all Elion's work online at Heart Dance Records. 